guys, welcome to Karen All Talks Lifestyle, episode seven. It's me, Carrington. And Nathaniel. And today we're going to talk to a professor here at UK. Before we get started, let's give a shout out to Pops Resale. It is a vintage store here in Lexington. They have vinyl records, vintage clothing, old school video games, and they have cool retro stuff that's definitely worthy of checking out. Hi, everybody. I'm Tamaris Behel, author of Breath Better Spent, Living Black Girlhood, A Bound Woman is a Dangerous Thing, and others. Have you always been interested in writing and literature since you have were younger, or was it something you came to like later in your life? Absolutely, positively, always interested. I probably, so everyone in my family all of the adults in my childhood were ministers and clergy. So the the interpretation of stories, the telling of stories was a huge part of um, all of my childhood. And then I was like really into painting and other stuff. And because um, my grandmother had a diagnosis of schizophrenia, I think because I was a hyper creative, talkative, very opinionated little girl, they thought I was gonna have that diagnosis too. So even though they would indulge what I asked them for creatively, there was definitely an unspoken look of shock on their face every time I would ask for a new creative endeavor. And so ultimately I just ended up um, writing to myself. And so I, writing was something that the supplies were very readily accessible as opposed to like art supplies where you had to get somebody to take you to the art store. Then they had to walk around the art store and then you had to figure out what you wanted. And then they would buy all these supplies or the same thing with music, like, you know, buying a piano and all this other stuff, right? But writing was something I always had access to pen and paper and I always had access to books. And so it was something I was able to do. So like from like nine to 28, my parents had no idea I was writing. I won a prize and that's when they found out. What prize did you win? The Zora Neale Hurston Richard Wright Award for College Writers. Mm -hmm. And what was your parents' reaction when they like finally figured it out? Happy, but it was kind of like out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. So it probably just seemed like something that was random. They didn't know it was probably like the most important thing in my life. Like they had no idea. Because at that time I was telling people I wanted to be a teacher or something. Like I wasn't very honest about wanting to be a writer for a very long time. Why weren't you like honest with wanting to be a writer, do you think? Well, multiple reasons. One... Because my parents would tell me when I was a kid that artists die poor. And they would be like, you don't want to be poor, do you? <laughs> and they would like, just tell me that artists die poor. You don't want to be poor, do you? And I think that was their way of deterring me from what they really feared, right? Which is like this diagnosis, right? But they would always put like science books and stuff in my hands. And I'm, I was like pretty good at that stuff too. So I did like a lot of academic enrichment around like science and engineering and debate and all of that stuff. 
that I still just wanted to write. And then at some point I couldn't admit it to myself, like even in college, even getting my master's degree, I was like studying to be a linguist. And then I won, I won two awards in the same amount of time. And then they were like, um, you have as many creative writing uh, classes as you had linguistics classes, you have to make a choice. And I was like, and then the two awards inspired me to be like, okay, I can do creative writing. Cause I won one and I was a finalist in the second. And those were the first two prizes I ever submitted to. That's wow. really awesome. And regardless, yeah. like creative writing, has it always been like poetry that's been your outlet with that? Or has it been like different forms of writing? Always different forms. My PhD is actually in fiction. So I'm curious, um, what are some of your favorite works that you've done so far? Oh, uh, I'm, I, I, no, I don't do that. I, I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, like, I like all of them and they're all representations of like different times. But yeah. I'm also like, I'm wildly insecure about my writing. So like, I rarely listen to interviews that I've done. Like if I didn't have somebody like putting, like editing my videos and putting them on social media, I would like never watch them again. I don't go back and listen to podcasts. It just all freaks me out. With being like insecure regarding your writing, how do you kind of like combat that with like publishing your writing? Oh, thank God I have an agent. <laughs> <laughs> like before I had an agent, I was not, and I I publish a lot of stuff now. I mean, I publish I, because I write like academic writing too, which I'm less insecure about. Um, before I had an agent, other like friends that were writers would just like come over my house and they'll be like, this is done. This is done. This is done. They'll just be like yelling. And so like, I would submit stuff to like go to additional writing seminars or workshops, but I was not the best at submitting stuff for publication. And like, um, there's a lot of rejection in writing. Like people don't know how much, but there are like very popular, I would say mid-tier literary magazines. Your work might be one out of 200 that is chosen. Like somewhere like the New York Times or something, it's like one out of thousands. Mm -hmm. And so the rejection level is really, really high. And I internalized that to mean that the quality of my work needed to be really, really high. And so I, I still don't ever really know that anything is finished. I just turn it in on the deadline. I don't know. I don't really know when it's finished. And I'm still not sure. Even this latest book, Breath Better Spent, I was very unsure about the book. I was like, oh, this book is like a C all right it's not really it's not really where it needs to be and the people were like what but I don't sometimes I'm in the weeds with it mm -hmm. I just don't know so like how does the process of you like kind of like comprising a collection of poetry look like like is that over like a long span of time and stuff like that um not I, I write pretty fast mm -hmm. so I write pretty fast but I'm also like, I do things that a lot of people and a lot of other writers 
think are unforgivable or they would never they wouldn't do. And it took me a long time. So two of the most important writing big sisters mentors in my life are Nikki Finney and Monifa Lovasanti. And they're both poets. And ever since I began, they were poets that would get up and write at four o'clock in the morning. That is so early. (laughs) And they write for four hours at four o'clock in the morning. And so I knew about, and look, and they kept saying, look, that's the time. That's the time. That's the time. And it's not a secret. They tell it to everybody. And it took me about 12 years to be able to do. Like I could get up at six for a couple of years. And I was like, I kept getting like, chopped off at the knees and cut off at the knees. Like I would always have to stop. And then I was like, oh, I got to get up at five. And I did that for a couple of years and I still wasn't getting enough writing in. So then I really, I remember I really had a talk with Nikki Finney and I was like, how do you get up at four? Like, tell me everything you have to do. She said, it starts the night before. You got to put out your water. You got to put out your reading. You got to sharpen your pencils. You got to put out your paper and you put all of that on your desk. And when you get up in the morning, you don't do anything but go straight to the desk. She said, I don't care how hungry you are. Do not get up from that desk and go get any food for the first hour or you won't write. And so I was like, bing, like that was like the method, right? Because like, even if I should manage to get up at four, like I thought I was going to be like deliriously sleepy, right? She's like, yeah, that's the thing. It's more than just getting up at four it's also committing to being at the desk and she was like if you get up at four you got to look for all that stuff you're not going to write until five you got to have all that stuff out the night before and then once I started doing that the first three weeks were terrible (laughs) terrible horrible disgusting I was taking like naps at noon I was getting like dog tired, 7.30, 8 o'clock at night. It was horrible. But then it clicked and I was like, this is what I do. Get up at four, do a couple of yoga stretches, nothing major. Oh, yawn, stretch. Yeah, stretch out. Put on my workout clothes, go sit down. And then I spent at least the first hour or two hours reading to set my mind for the writing. So if I wanna like write something funny, I read writers that I think are funny. If I wanna revise something that I, that's like a specific like scene of something, then I'll organize the reading that night before to be, to speak to that. So I'm like kind of in a cipher and in a conversation with other writers, right? And I might have some music out that I already know that I'm going to play in the morning. And then it just became my jam, but it's good because everybody starts calling and emailing you like eight o'clock. Mm-hmm. If you check your phone before you get to that desk, your life is over. Mm-hmm. Because you have like an unconscious to-do list in your head that's in the way of your writing. Because you're like, I got to get back to this email. I got to do that. I got to do that. And then, no, you just make your desk the most comfortable place in your house. You put the perfect light there. You know, you get you a good reading light. Make sure everything's there. And and actually, like, 
in between the 4 and 8 a.m., a lot of other things that I do that I don't talk about as often is I spend a lot of time um, with the old English, the Oxford English Dictionary, and we call it the OED. And it's like um, every entry in the OED is like literally the history of that word in the English language. So it may go back to 1300, it may go back to 500, it may go back to a Greek or a Latin word. And then as I'm writing, sometimes I'm I'm in the OED, particularly if I'm revising work, mm-hmm. because you don't want to keep using the same word. And sometimes you need like a really specific word. In your revisions, do you look for anything specific? Every day it's something different. Mm-hmm. So like, because, I mean, if you've read Breath Better Spent, parts of it get really, really sad. And I wrote the sad parts first. And then a lot of the revision was to add happy. Mm-hmm. So that took a longer time than like some of the edits. So one thing, one edit that I do be, when I write poetry is you have to make sure that the line is almost its own morsel or top of. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I'm just editing I can spend weeks just editing individual lines. And how important is it like to have like a circle of writers around you? Very important, Mm -hmm. very important because they're the only friends that understand when you're missing for months at a time. The rest of everybody else, they get annoyed. I have friends that are annoyed with me right now. Like friendships that are in jeopardy because I'm just still writing. Like I'm working on a book right now. And they're like, when are we going on vacation again? When are you turning up? And I'm like, I ain't had a vacation in four years. Like, because that's the other thing that happens when a book comes out. The business of a book is a totally different life than the life of a writer. Writers may spend five, 10, 12 years alone with one book. And then all of a sudden your book is in the world and it's like, everybody's trying to kiss your baby. And you, like, it's a really weird relationship with the public. Mm-hmm. I think that's why so many writers are just reclusive. It It's very easy because in between you writing the book and then the book being finished and in the world, it's usually about a year. And most writers start another project then. And so by the time they're talking about the book, they're already writing something else. And all of those characters are already their friends in their head. Like this world has moved on. So I totally understand those writers that just like release a book and then like they don't even come outside. So speaking of like having a group around you, are you a member of the Afrolatian Poets Group? No, but I love all the Appalachian poets. Mm-hmm. I am not, but they are all supportive friends of mine. But I am not. And probably I do talk to Crystal Wilkinson and Asha French the most. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, sometimes you just need to talk to another writer. Um when you're trying to make everybody, everybody's life is complex. 
and we are trying to recreate the complexity of life and art. Sometimes you need to talk to another creative person, but specifically someone who understands how to use words to construct a life. How has being like a professor and teacher at UK impacted your writing in any way? Oh, all the time. Like, um, like in the latest book, I wrote a poem about Tania Jones, who was one of my students, you know? And um, I was very encouraging for her to get um, a lot of study abroad opportunities. And so when she transitioned, uh, it was very sad for me. Very, very sad for me. But also it's great because the Afro-Latin writers and the Appalachian writers, they have a saying that's helped me improve my work. And they say, write close to the bone. Mm -hmm. And so I think about my pen being like a butcher knife and just how close to the bone can I write? How real can I make it? How authentic, how dangerously authentic can I make it, mm -hmm. right? And so I learned that from Appalachian writing. How do you like balance your work life, your teaching life, and like your like writing and personal life all at the same time? It sounds so hectic. Personal life in, right now. I have no personal <laughs> life. In. It's so sad. It's so, so sad. I'm like so single. It's so, so sad. It's so sad. I'm single and losing more friends every day because any available time I'm kind of given to the writing now and my kid is old my kid is 28 now has your like writing career taken you to some like interesting places for like traveling wise absolutely it's taken me to a bunch of places I would have never chosen to go and I'm glad I went mm -hmm. like France Finland Swaziland South Africa Puerto Rico just for like some of the international places. And I'll be going to Italy later this year. That's so cool. Artist retreat. And it's so cool because it's going to be in a castle. And they invite 15 artists from around the world to stay together for six weeks. Do the places you go inspire you? And do you think they like cause you to write something that you wouldn't have written about before if you hadn't have gone? Well, first of all, like if you're an artist, well, if you're a person, everything you do changes you. But if you're an artist, you'll remember that. And like take a little bit from something, whether you enjoyed it or you didn't enjoy it. So again, that's a really hard question for me because all of it influences me. Is there any like literature that you're consuming right now that you really like, like any current book reads? Okay, so I'm looking probably at a stack of at least 50 books over there. I'm doing a lot with nonfiction right now and some poetry. But what immediately comes to mind is not a book, um, I've been digging in some university archives and this particular archive at um, the John Carter Brown Library at Brown University, they have colonial archives going back to like the 1500s and 1600s. And I've been reading those. 
And so that's kind of weird because in English, you know, the printing press was just like getting started in 1400s, right? Like the late 1400s. So everything's not a hard science. So one of the things that's challenging about reading books that old, U and V are the same letter. If they create a W, they put two Vs close to each other. So it looks really weird. There is no standardized spelling. People just spelling stuff the way they think so. And then S, F, and L all look alike. So that is also really, really, really deceptive. So you may come across a word like foolish. Don't play yourself. What got you interested in reading these archives? Well, I'm getting ready. My next book will probably be a memoir. So my mother is from the island of Bermuda, which is off the coast of North Carolina. And my dad is American. My American family has been over here since at least the 1600s. And that's what I thought I was going to talk about. What I found in the archives, which is also related to this space of Brown University, is um, when Roger Williams, as a colonial settler, he had a huge beef with the Indian tribe, like a major war that they call King Philip's War, uh, with this Indian uh, Metacommon. When the colonists won the war, they sold these Indians into slavery in Bermuda. So I'm reading those records and it's kind of changing what I think I know mm -hmm. about history and family. As you're like uncovering like this history and these archival things, like does it tell you a lot about like America and like how we just like view our history? Could you like speak a little bit about that? Absolutely, it is crazy. Yeah. So anybody that's read my books, they know like I'm kind of a jokester and I make fun of archives in my books. Like I'm always putting archives in my books, but they're never the way you think they're gonna be, right? <laughs> On purpose. To see the unpronounced histories and to know that the guy that started this collection, like his old his whole ambition, right? When America was a very young country, it was like I'm going to start a library of America. But really, it's an entire history of piracy, colonialism, right? Because like, that's the history of America. Like we're a post-colonial state. What advice would you give to any aspiring poets out there as our last question? Read. All aspiring poets, writers, and authors, try to read three times as much as you write, which is like hard for people to hear. Mm -hmm. And like just reading poetry or just like everything? Well, me, I consume everything. Thank you so much for talking yes. with us. Thank you. It's been fun. Thanks for listening, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, once again, I'm Nathaniel. And I'm Carrington. Enjoy your break. Have a good winter. Happy holidays. Yeah.